Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Episode of the Forgot My Dice Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the 19,000 plus words to my Why Does This Technically Meet the Requirements of a Novella? We could have gone our entire happy lives without this movie adaptation. Mr. Robert Lundgren, how you doing? Wow, that was like, I nailed it, but man, it, there was a lot of oxygen involved. Hello, hello, Jonathan. Spoilers for what's ahead. <laughs> oh, yes. Join us in our nightmare. And I don't mean that in a good way. <laughs> uh, this is definitely one of the we watched it. So you'll never have to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is this is our public service announcement for the millennia. <laughs> Dear God, but we'll talk about that soon. <laughs> As always, we're going to get this episode started with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. Please don't stop patronizing us because of the movie that we watched today. <laughs> we did it for you so that you don't have to. Wink of the camera. Gleaming teeth. And Jonathan, happy National 3D Day. Because it's on the third day of the third week of March. You get it? <laughs> it's, it's, there's threes. I see. I There's see. Threes. Tomorrow's Pi Day. Yes. Well, that's in real life. Yes. Not in recording life. But anyway, National 3D Day celebrates the art, science, and history of the stereoscopic 3D imagery. You know those little blue and red glasses? That one. Every year in March, on the third day of the third week of the third month, we explore technologies used to create 3D photographs, movies, and art, and we celebrate the many ways these images are viewed and enjoyed. And so go watch a 3D movie and use that hashtag... Jeez, there's a lot of... Wow, this one's really in-depth. That's cool. Remember a few years ago when, like, 3D TVs were, like, all the rage? Yeah, yeah. That stopped. Mm-hmm. Anyway, use that hashtag, na hashtag National 3D Day on social media. Oh, wow. You can go to www.3-dday.com. <laughs> wow. Man, 3D.com is actually pretty legit. Wow. I will explore this later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send it to you as a way to save it. Because if it's here, I'm going to start looking at it because I have no ability to not do stuff. There we go. All right. Get that off my tab so I don't look at it while we're recording. Anyway, Jonathan, there you go. <laughs> Ooh, look at that. I know. It's quite in depth. Look at it later. Focus. Um, this is your fault. I blame you. Let's get started with our first segment. That is, of course, our off-the-shelf segment. This is where we talk about all the things that we've had off of our shelves into our gaming tables slash media players slash hearts. What have we done lately? Where do you want to start, Robert? I was listening so, to the last episode. I picked a lot, so you get to pick this week. Uh, I, we never start with board games. Let's start with board games. Okay. We're playing Welcome To again, finally. Yes, I'm stoked. <laughs> I'm stoked. It's so good to be back in that game. Am I alone there? Because I feel like I'm just so happy to be playing that game again. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm just happy that uh, I have a wife who reminds me to, to... It's usually I'm the one telling Gina to take her turn, but she's been telling me lately because I've completely gotten out of the, the habit of checking that every morning. 
And it still hasn't quite registered. Oh, Dale took his turn, but you haven't yet. I took my tur- a turn a few minutes ago. Oh, man, I guess like all the games I'm playing are reset. I'll have to do that after we record. Well, there you go. But yeah, welcome to still uh, probably one of the best games I've ever played for this format. It just works very it, well. It, it does. It really does. I think that's a big part of the reason why I enjoy it so much is because playing it online like this really is just awesome. So, Jonathan, what have you been playing? Because we know I haven't done anything. Uh, what have I been playing? So I have been playing um, Gizmos, which is an interesting little um, kind of engine builder uh, that Dale turned me on to. It's my very first time playing it. We're playing it online, so I'm going to not quite go into it in any kind of depth because I don't know enough about it to be able to speak to it intelligently, but it is essentially an engine builder, and I'm still kind of getting into the vibe with it, but it's pretty straightforward so far. I like it. Uh, I'm also playing Dice Hospital ER with Dale, and that kind of has a, um, it's a dice rolling with a welcome to aspect as you're building out your hospital. And again, I haven't, we haven't completed our first game yet, so I'm still kind of learning it. So I don't know how else to describe it. Welcome to, of course, with you. And I played a couple games of Century, A New World, for our deep dive later this episode. Yeah, we dropped the ball on that one. It's been out for yeah, a while, I right? mean, like I, I was just telling you earlier before we got started, I, I looked up on my shelf and I realized, oh man, we never closed out the trilogy. <laughs> That's on me. So um, yes, we're closing out the trilogy now and I think we're going to revisit it in a, a couple of episodes and take a look at what happens when we start mixing them together. That'll be a fun and interesting experiment. But we'll talk about more of that more about that in a moment. Oh man, we could, we could mine that for tons of content because it, it you could you could do each yeah of there's the so many games. rule sheets in this box there's so and many that, rule sheets and, in then, this and, box. Then, and then you could do all three of them because like yeah so it's one 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 two three we could get four more episodes out of this jonathan with all the various combinations <laughs> yeah you can get um spice road spice road with eastern wonders eastern spice wonders road with, plus new world spice yep. road plus new world and then all three New World plus, yeah, and then uh, all three together. Spice World, or Spice World, Spice Road, Eastern Wonders, and A New World. Spi- Spice World was that movie with uh, with the, the ladies the in the band. The Spice Girls. Yes. 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 Not, not where we're going. No. No. But the spice must flow, Robert. You know what? You know what, though? Uh, uh, Mark McKinney and Bob Hoskins are both in that world. You know? Bob Hoskins wouldn't mind to go back there. You know, pour a little out for that, that homie right there. He was the original Mario. OG Mario. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not true. Was was he before or after the show with the the, the wrestler Lou? Uh, what's his name? Oh God, I don't know. I'll ask the internet. <laughs> I think he gets OG Mario. Okay, the Super Mario Brothers film came out in 1993. It was a Super Mario Brothers Super Show, if I remember correct- correctly. <laughs> Super Mario Brothers Super Show came out in. 89 you're right that he would be there you go i stand corrected i stand corrected well he's the you know what you know what he'll be the og film mario i guess there you go there you go anyway what what, what, oh (laughs) century (laughs) what were we on you were talking about the 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 century game yeah so i played that in preparation for the uh deep dive which is later in the episode so we will come back to it which means we are now moving on to movies and tv Cool. Of which I have not watched a whole lot, 
but I did have a plane ride, so I got a chance to watch um, Drive to Survive season five. Mm. How was that? So here's the thing. Seasons three and four were a little weird, and they played up drama that didn't really necessarily exist. And I think it was because they had such limited access due to COVID restrictions. Mm. And this one suddenly feels more like a documentary and has some really, really juicy um, scenes from the paddock that people would not normally have gotten exposed to. It's one of my favorite seasons of the show because it drops the unnecessary, like, over-dramatization of some relationships and instead really focuses on what was going on in the season and gives us some some moments that we would not normally have access to that are just absolutely epic to see. It's 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 a really good season of the show. Nice. So why don't you finish yourself out? It's not going to be hard. I watched Uncharted. Well, the first like three quarters of it. I'm having a real hard time getting through it. It's not good. It's not good. Not having played the game or watched the movie, what are they screwing up, in your opinion? I remember, I remember uh, Spider-Man, whatever his name is. Uh, Tom he, Holland. Tom Holland. He said he wasn't very happy with that movie because it was the he realized that he was trying to be cool more than he was acting, and uh, he thought that that was a detriment to the movie. I remember him saying that out loud before the movie came out, and I'm like, that's a that's an interesting way to promote that movie, there, bud. <laughs> Tom Holland is not the problem with the film. Hmm. Uh, the biggest problem with the film is that if you go and, and look at the, the two games, the, the, the games, well, the, th- the four games, I should say at this point, the games themselves have a really well-written, well-constructed storyline. And you don't like you could just adapt that story and it would be great. And this adds a lot of unnecessary nonsense to it. And some of the characterizations that, that works so well in the story are, are broken because they decided to cast it in a weird way. So in the games, Nathan Drake is uh, older. He's like in his 30, late 30s, early 40s, right? Yeah. It's never really described. But he's an older character, and that's important because he has life under his belt, and that's part of what makes his attitude work, right? He's been there. He's done that. And the relationship with Sully is interesting because they've, they've worked together so many times that they kind of have a shorthand. You know, like like uh, like in, in some movies where they're like, eh, I think we should do the Bombay. Oh, the Bombay? I, I think the Bombay works. You, you know, something like that. Oh, but this one, it's like their first meeting, huh? Well, they first meet. And I'm sorry, like other people might love Mark Wahlberg. I think Mark Wahlberg has a very specific place. Like he's amazing in The Departed because he's basically playing Mark Wahlberg. But he doesn't work for this character. Like, it just, it doesn't work for what Sully brought to the game. Sully, as a character, is supposed to genuinely care about Nate. Like, he's the father that he never had, which is not to say that it was a healthy relationship, but, you know, there's care and love there. And here it just feels like he's just using him. And Nate's too damn young, and it it just, it kind of breaks the characterization it breaks the relationship, and Mark Wahlberg just does not sell to me that character. That character needs to be older. He needs to have been around the block more than Mark Wahlberg, I guess you could say. Like, the, the, the guy in the game is in his late 50s, early 60s, and it makes sense. Do you think that they originally were like, we'll, we'll do an early story before the video games take place to try to, like, tie it into the continuity and then decide not to do that or something, or... But see, like, I think it works better 
that they have that established relationship in the core narrative and that if you want to explore that story, do it, but do it in the context of flashbacks from the core narrative to explain why they have the relationship that they do. You know what Fair I mean? Enough. Fair enough. Yeah. That, that functions better as a storytelling element. Uh, it's just, it's a mess. It's a mess. And then occasionally it tries to capture moments from the game, which I appreciate because it's not over the top cheesy. Like the, the whole like first person perspective uh, component of the Doom movie. I like the first person component of the Doom movie, though. That was like the best. It's like the, the only movie. functional part of the movie, but yeah. it's overblown and it lasts too long. It hold it, it holds the note too long. You know what I mean? It could have hold the, held the note longer, for my opinion, but whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's just this movie's a mess, and and it commits the crime of just kind of being boring and poorly written. Well, that's the sucks. games are more exciting. The games are are. I wonder Better if this is the reason stories. why the uh, the Last of Us show, it's actually factually the writers from the game doing it. From what I know, because I haven't watched it yet, but from, from the reviews that I've read, without spoilers, that is what's working. They don't try and do away with the game. They embrace it. They tell the same story just in their medium. And that's essentially what, what's broken with Uncharted. They don't tell the same story and adapt it to their medium. They try and do their own nonsense Hollywood popcorn flick thing. But what works about Uncharted is that those characters are people. They're real people and you care about them. So do you and think I we've discovered the, about uh, these characters in the movie? Do you think we've discovered the secret sauce for a video game adaptation, which is we probably shouldn't do it in cinema. It should be an HBO miniseries. It doesn't necessarily need to be. It helps though. I, because again, you know, you have that, that, a video game is not a two-hour thing, or at least most aren't. The reason a miniseries works so well is because it gives the characters time to be human. Like, you you have those moments, and you can stretch it out and, and get those humanistic moments out of well, it. Well, and, and I think, like, most video games that would lend themselves well to maybe being a movie, I think you need to be able to have that time, and you just don't have that time in a two-hour movie because, you know, modern popcorn movies, you can't stop and have a dialogue sequence for more than, like, five seconds, you know? I think that there are some things that you could have taken the original Uncharted game and adapted it into a two hour movie. Like, I, I think that there's an adaptation there. The problem is that they didn't try and adapt it. They just tried to do their own damn thing. And if you read some of the history of them making this movie, there was a point where like they were completely changing the story around. At least they didn't do that because that would have been a mess. Hmm. So it's just it's it's awkward. I, that's how I would describe the Uncharted movie. It just feels awkward. It's not inherently broken, but it also doesn't capture what made the games so darn good and lovable okay i still need to play those i, I i've had them the the playstation i bought came with them and i just never oh man yeah it's just they are fantastic adventure games i can't wait to talk to you about the plots so please go play them all right i'll put on my list but i got i got stuff between here and there speaking of which uh me and the daughter have been watching uh the steven universe we've been continuing that uh still a good show having fun good times I got to burn my saddle to watch Contact <laughs> with uh, the Jodie Foster. Foster one based yeah. on the, the novel. Yeah, yeah. How's that hold up? I, I, I like I, I'm only about halfway through it. Uh, I like overly long, pretentious sci fi movies. So oh, I don't have a problem with that aspect of it at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm enjoying it. Like it's, uh, you know, honestly, like a lot of the stuff that happens around like like the way people are freaking out uh, with with the first contact thing, like uh, yeah, the last few years have made that seem a little bit more plausible. Just gonna 
<laughs> just gonna leave that there. Uh, you know, especially especially when the fascists start coming out of the woodwork. It's been uh, yeah, that's that's held up sadly well, Jonathan. Um, so anyway, I'll, I'll I'll tell you more about what I think when, when I actually finish it. I like that movie. I know a lot of people had problems with it, uh, and you know I could I see never why. had a problem with it. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people just were like, "Oh, they build it, build it, build it," and then at the end, she runs into her dad on a beach, and it's like, yeah, like. Haven't you seen an overly long and pretentious sci-fi movie? What do you want? Did you want a laser light show like at the end of two thousand and one, like that? The, you build it, I mean, build, and that, it, that's within the context see. of the film, that makes perfect sense because they even come right out and say, "We are choosing a form to communicate with you that you'll understand." Like that yeah, makes sense I, to me. I, I know. I, I a lot of people hated it. A lot of people just wanted sci-fi nonsense. Like I hate a lot of people. So that yeah, works. yeah, yeah. Well, it's this uh, it's this TV trope kind of idea called and Cthulhu. I guess is is the actual name of it, but it's this thought where. Sometimes you, uh, you you want this like big crazy thing to happen, but the the reality is if the big crazy thing happened, it'd be really really lame. You know, if you actually watched on 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 screen, it would not do well. <laughs> it's like uh, there were people who had a problem with True Detective actually because like the Yellow King never came out, you know, and and they wanted something overtly supernatural to happen to tie that show together. And uh, yeah, the the. the you know, but I, I don't think an Ann Cthulhu moment would have made that show better. I think it was better that it was very vague and it could have just been, you know, rust tripping <laughs> on, on, on stuff left over in his system, so to speak. You know, uh, I will tell you more when I get there. We'll see how that holds up. Uh, still watching Star Trek Picard. Holy crap, Jonathan. All right. Don't tell me a thing. Don't, don't watch season two. Just don't. Just don't. It, it's not worth it. It's not. There. I told you the two plot points that you need to know going into season three. That's all you really need to give. About. It's it's. Oh. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's just such... Oh, I, I, oh, I want to talk to you about it so bad. There's a buddy cop film forming in it, too. And, and the buddy... I I did. I, I would watch a spinoff of that show. Just these two characters going and doing intergalactic buddy cop stuff. It's, it'd be great. It'd be great. And there's a character they introduce... Okay, okay. This is a... Oh, oh screw it. Screw it. You've lost your privileges. They introduce a new character. No, 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 no. I'll be vague. No. Can I be vague? No. I'll be vague. I won't say any plot points. Can I, I will watch it soon. I will watch it soon. I started that show hating him, and they're doing a great job writing because I've liked him more and more as the show has progressed, which has been fascinating. Okay. Like, it's fascinating, like, watching a character you loathe. Just, just, he, yeah. And then as it keeps going, like, you know, I don't know. It's weird. It's it, He is really well written. He is extremely well written. And the guy who plays him has been on the show before. He played like a a, a Romulan in uh, in Enterprise. That was like one of his first acting gigs way back when. And now he's back without a bumpy forehead in years, and he's very happy about it. And I was watching a thing where they were doing the after show with him and the and the Quill Wheatons. Yeah, he's like a giant nerd. It's cute. So like I I, I he's a good addition to the Trek universe because he's he's you know he's he's our people. He's our people. And I've been continuing with Babylon Five. Uh, that show, I'm, I'm just about done with season four, which means I'm going to get to the, the kind of long denouement, not very great fifth season. So we'll see how that pans out. But yeah, that show, that show holds up, you know, in a way, I mean, it's, it's problems back then are still the problems. Now the effects and sets and budget of it aren't great. <laughs> but once you look past that aspect of it, like, you know, there's a lot to like. Uh, I did forget to add one thing. The hmm. Formula One season has officially begun. I got my first race. I am into my happy place. Have you had, uh, did you watch it with your boy over the interwebs? 
so I was unable to because he was at his mom's and I was in San Diego. It was tough. But we're going to get to watch this weekend's race together, which will be great. Oh, did he watch it on his own, though? Yeah, yeah. He watched it on his own. Um, he's got a lot to be excited about. You know, he... He said something that again reminded me of the importance of representation in in sports and media in general. There's uh, an American kid for the first time on the grid in in quite some time, uh, and he's genuinely excited, even though the guys at a backmarker team about this American kid that speaks like him being in the sport. Like it just reminded me of again, once again, and we had this discussion on the show before. Representation matters, you know. He got excited because there was somebody that that he could relate to, and that's really fun for for me. Like I was, it was neat to see him identify a driver and get really excited about him for no other reason than you know it, it, he he's relating to him, and that was really cool. So we're just going down the list from A to Z. So on to reading. Yeah, we're doing it a little different. Uh, reading. Um, I'm continuing Deadbeat. I, I I because I had this trip to San Diego. I I was away from my book. Um, I forgot it at home for like five days. So oh I, um, man, Jonathan, I failed you. I forgot to send you the video of jacking it in San Diego this time. What? The South Park song, jacking it in San Diego. Oh. <laughs> I send that to you every <laughs> yes, time you, you go and I forgot and I, I feel bad. I'm That's sorry. Okay. That's I'm okay. Sorry. The, the way things are going, I'll be there sooner than later. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll try not to fail you again. Yeah, it was, uh, it sucked because I totally forgot my book, so I was not able to read it while I was gone, which is why I managed to get through Drive to Survive. The well, whole thing. I've been so excited about Star Trek Picard that I went to the library and uh, ha- put on hold all of the prequel comic books because they're oh, canon. Nice. They're canon nice. until they're not. That That's that's the way those prequels work. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the uh, the first one is just called Star Trek Picard Countdown, and it's basically the story of, you saw season one, right? Yeah. Okay. You you know yeah. those two Romulans. Thanks that are, for thanks for the tears, Picard. Uh, you know the two Romulans that were on the uh, on the on the uh, the vineyard with them, right? Yeah. Yeah. That that comic's just the story of how he met them. Oh, and that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, it has the problem that a lot of comic book adaptations have, which is it's trying to tell a lot of story and it does not have nearly enough time to do it. Um, and that's a problem just with comic books in general. Yeah, uh, the only one I can think of that doesn't have that problem is like Saga and a lot of the artsy fartsy like Walking Dead and the the independent comics. They usually have time because they can get away with it. Um, but yeah, no, it was fun. Uh, there's another one too that I, I've got on hold, but it hasn't showed up yet. So I will tell you how that is later. Also, uh, my local game store got broken into over the weekend. Somebody at 2 a.m. threw a rock through their window and stole sucks. all their magic cards. Yeah, yeah. You know, I felt bad. A lot of people were feeling bad. So they actually did pretty brisk business, I'm told, this weekend because a lot of people came in to make sure they got some money to, to help cover some of those expenses. And it wasn't as bad as that because they they had their, their magic overstock. They don't keep, you know, behind the counter in full view. Um, it's kind of off to the side somewhere hidden. And whoever did it didn't know where that was. So their, their overstock didn't get taken, so thankfully. But, yeah, it was um, – basically everything they had on the shelf and three of their binders given it was their binder with merely the one to $5 cards. But yeah, they had three binders of those stolen. They figure it's about, if I remember correctly, it was like $6,000 worth of stuff or 5,000 somewhere in there. So, you know, for a little game store, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. That's people suck. That's yeah. Just, that's ridiculous. That's not cool. 
So I went there and I bought uh, Pelgrane Press's Swords of the Serpentine, which is a, a role-playing game, which is uh, it's a fantasy game. It's supposed to be a little bit more Conan than, you know, high fantasy D&D. Uh, I playtested it ages ago, um, so my name is in print in the book as Robert the Conda Lundgren because the character I played, he just went by the Conda, which is a sword that I learned about because my my buddy who was uh, running it, he I, I said I, I I just had this vision of this character with a giant you know like Buster sword from like you know Final Fantasy VII like just this ridiculous sword and I'll just call myself the sword guy or something and you know because he's a sword nerd he got offended by that so he went and found a, a groovy sword and a conda just looks you know those you know those like bread knives that are in the the knife rack that are just have the kind of serrated edge yep yeah imagine that but a sword like it's just bigger <laughs> <laughs> that's a conda. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of scary. <laughs> I would not want to have that swinging at me. So, uh, yeah, that was my sword. And then uh, Gina played it, actually, too, when we play tested it. And she played a witch who foretold the future. She was from an island, and she, was a, a, uh, she foretold the future by dumping out her bag full of shark's teeth and then using that to read the tea leaves, so to speak. Uh, so, yeah, and th- those were our characters. And it was fun, and we're both in there, so huzzah. Um, I haven't gone through it's it's a thick book. I was not expecting that. Um, this the base setting for it is a city called Eversink, which is uh think Venice, but it's sinking constantly, so that's why it has dungeons because you know the buildings and stuff just keep going down and they keep building more crap on top of it. But yeah, so it's kind of like this weird mix of Conan the Barbarian and like Venice. It's held up uh, by the goddess of trade, Daenerys, and so she has trade priests that go around. And I was reading somebody who played it, and they found this uh, this place that had been really defiled by evil cultists. And so they started uh, uh, one of the characters started getting the other characters to pay for them to dance uh, to to get trade back into that space to sanctify it. And I'm like, that's funny. That's good stuff. I like that. So there you go. That's what I've been reading. All right. We haven't played Knights Black Agents, Jonathan. I guess we haven't. I put that on there because I couldn't remember if we talked about the last one or not. But yeah, no, no, we haven't. Sorry, played. that's my fault. I've been traveling a lot, Jonathan. It's okay. At, so that takes us to video games. All right, you want to go first? Sure. So I had this realization the other day. Destiny Two is not a video game, Jonathan. It's a lifestyle choice, and uh, I was starting to get off the Destiny train. I was starting to get off of it, but just when I thought I was out. It pulled me back in because uh, my buddy uh, Brandon and his brother started playing again. And uh, yeah, playing games with people is fun. <laughs> oh, that's that's always what Destiny has been about. Certainly not the narrative. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, but speaking of the narrative. So uh, right now, a whole bunch of the expansions are really cheap. And if you had to buy one, Jonathan, I would tell you to buy the 30th anniversary pack because it's amazing. Wait, did you say the 30th? Yeah, Bungie, Bungie's 30th anniversary pack. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, there's, there's some math issues that we need to work through here. Okay, first off, you like the Halo. They put a bunch of uh, Halo-inspired but yet legally distinct weapons that look like Halo into Destiny 2, which is fun. Uh, the pulse rifle based off of Halo is actually very good. And there is a, I believe it's a hand cannon. I'm not sure. There's an exotic weapon that's based off of the Destiny 1 handgun that just was a murder machine better than oh, everything else. Oh, I, 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 I enjoyed the living daylights out of that. Well, apparently it feels exactly like that. Like everybody, I, and, and I, its name is the Esluna or something like that. And I realized I have been murdered with that in the, in the Crucible a ton. So... It's on my list of things to do, but the best part is they added this thing in called the Dares of Eternity. So you log into it 
and it's a six player game. And basically it's like, uh, it's PVE. Uh, and you know, it'll, it'll randomly team you up. So you don't need to come up with a group beforehand and you go in and, uh, uh, it's, it's run by Zur. Do you remember who Zur was? Tentacle face guy sold exotics and said weird stuff. Oh yeah. 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 So Zur is there and he apparently works for this being known as the star horse, which is a horse that looks like it's made out of, of interstellar space. And, uh, yeah. And they basically run this game show where you are participants for the horse's amusement. And, uh, it's, it's hysterical, Jonathan. It's hysterical. Like, like, cause, cause the horse talks like the horse neighs and like, you know, the game has subtitles, right? So every time the horse neighs, it says something weird, like, you know, entropic neigh or, you know, <laughs> like, you know, it just says weird stuff. You're like, what the hell's going on? And, and, and there's just a lot of great jokes where, you know, like Zer's like, you know, where it'll say something like, you know, it's like the horse wanted me to bring you here and I could not deny the star horse. Take a look at the treasures you may win in the, in the dares of eternity. And it, and it you know, it's this quest text. So it's, it says Zer gestures wildly and you see the fleeting image of the, of the horse nuzzling your mind. <laughs> nuzzling your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so bizarre. That, that that game and it's and I use this term very loosely, storytelling. Dares of Eternity is just silly. It's just stupid and I love it. It's 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 absurd and I yeah, and it, like I said it plays I like a game show. I do want to play it with you. I do want to play okay, it with you. Okay. It, while it's cheap at least on the PlayStation, I would highly recommend the 30th anniversary pack. I think you can play Dares of Eternity if you don't have it, but you like Halo, so that'll give you access to the Halo guns too. Which, sorry, the totally not Halo guns. The Microsoft, these are completely legally distinct and not Halo gun, Halo guns. Those I can't guns. imagine Microsoft getting upset that, you know, they're getting free marketing. <laughs> well, they never say they're Halo guns. They just, that they're, they're the Halo guns. Are there, are there Oni references? Uh, I don't know. I'll have to go look. I, I, I don't know much about Halo lore, to be honest with you. So No, no. O- Oni was... Oni is in Halo as an organization, but Oni was the name of uh, an adventure game that they made on the PlayStation 2. Oh, I did not know that. It was not great, to be blunt, but it's still a part of Bungie's past. The internet says yes. There you go. There you go. I'll be curious to see that. What about Myth? I don't know. Okay, how about this? There's a daily modifier for Dares of Eternity called... Uh, Dowden Surge, which increases melee ability damage and recharge rate. And apparently that's a reference to Oni. That is in fact a reference to Oni. So there you go. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm in. (laughs) You had me at Oni references. (laughs) It's so awesome, Jonathan. And it, 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 it is, it does play like a game show. And like, it's, it's awesome. Like usually after at least one wave, you'll, you'll fight, it'll summon guys to fight and then like, you'll kill everybody. And then you'll hear this like, and it, on the bottom, it'll say like appreciative Winnie and, uh, and Zer will start, you know, like the horse is pleased, but it wants to see you fight more. It demands more combat. And then more guys <laughs> spot in. <laughs> oh my goodness. Freaking, uh, destiny man like what a weird game that ended up being yeah so i think i think my guy is off the future war cult and i think i'm on the star horse the star horse says compels me like when uh like (laughs) the star horse abides man the star horse abides like earlier uh i I was telling you i'm like i definitely want to play more dares of eternity tonight and she kind of looked at me i'm like 
the star horse compels me and I cannot, I cannot forsake it. <laughs> and she just rolled her eyes. It's like, God, <laughs> I'll second that. I roll. <laughs> anyway, uh, the overlord expansion came out for Stellaris console. Finally, I played that a little bit. You playing more Stellaris. Yeah, certainly well, not. Well, it never happens. That was when I was getting off my destiny, but then I got back in. So I haven't played Stellaris since then. It really changed the game. Oh my God. Wow. I, I, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it, it's a whole new, <laughs> it's a whole new world. Yes. Yes. It's a whole new world. <laughs> well, I, that's, what's kind of fun about Stellaris. Like, like when, when those DLCs came out, came out, it really shakes up the game and it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's familiar enough that you, you know, you can play it, but it's different enough that, you know, it's new again. And it's, I nice. really appreciate how much love and care they put into their DLC. It, it, it shows they're not just slamming stuff in for the sake of slamming it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the new the new pack sounds amazing. It's called First Contact and it adds in uh a whole bunch of new stuff about, you know, interacting with worlds that aren't in space yet and whatnot. And it sounds really fascinating. And it adds in some origins like where you're uh there's an evil megacorp that uplifts planets. Uh I forget what the name of the megacorp is, but the three backgrounds kind of semi-revolve around it, where one of them is you're essentially a slave ship of that evil corporation, and you crash land on a planet and start rebuilding the, you know, building a space empire based off of, you know, the parts of the slave ship that you've taken over. Uh, There's one called, uh, I forget, uh, it's called Payback, and it's like, uh, it's Independence Day style. You you start as a primitive planet that, uh, you know, those people came to and tried to, like, you know, start taking your population to sell into slavery to pay for your uplifting, and uh, you fought them off. And uh, now you're using their technology to go get some payback, hence the term. And then the third one is uh, it's it's based on the uh, the black forest theory of space. Have you ever heard that or the dark forest? No, uh, it's it's apparently from a book. Uh, the three body problem is where they oh, introduced. You know, what? it's so funny. I just put that book on my to read list. Well, there you go. So don't uh, tell me anything more because I I really want to have a, a I don't want that book to be spoiled. For okay, me well I won't I've tell you what the dark forest. I, I won't tell you what the theory that- is. The The setup for this is basically uh, a moon in your solar system uh, suddenly explodes and a healthy portion of your population thinks it's uh, it's it's aliens that did it. And so they go to another planet and hide. And the whole the whole origin is like you start exploring space and they do not want you to explore space. They're like, no, no. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's kind of balancing act that, you know, that that urge to to hide. Um it's interesting. So I, I'm, I, I can't wait for that to be on console. That sounds like fun. Anyway, Stellaris is fun. So um, I got into uh, F1 Manager 2022 again in honor of the season beginning. I just couldn't not. I'm having a lot of fun. Um, it's pretty much the only way I'm going to get to watch Ferrari make competent decisions. So I'm just going with it. Which, by the way, uh, I'm on race four of my season and Ferrari in the lead of the championship. Um, hashtag things that haven't happened since 2004. Five. <laughs> my buddy actually started playing that game he doesn't even like f1 but he really liked the uh, management aspect of it because there's a lot of apparently that part was really good yes i mean it just there's a lot of really good decisions to make in that game like it's it's frontier makes really good management games they make phenomenal management games and the this this particular sport really lends itself well to uh, a management game too there's interesting decisions that you have to make and that's what works so well about it like I would be playing this game even if I wasn't a Formula One fan because it really is a well put together management game. So they <clears throat> do they do the thing the Formula One does and change the rules on you every year and 
Yes, yes. In fact, I, I just had to vote on whether or not we were going to have a major rules change or a minor rules change for the upcoming season. And because I am very high up in the championship, it behooves me that that rule change is uh, very, very minor versus the, the slower teams are asking for a much larger rule change because that has a tendency to balance out the field a bit more. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's it just it, it embraces the sport in really interesting ways. And it's just a good game, even if it isn't about the sport I love. It's a good game. I'm still playing through Yakuza Like a Dragon, or as I like to call it, wow, I can't believe this is a game, but I'm having fun. <laughs> it's bananas, man. Have you found the guy who's in the diaper play that you can summon? Oh, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> that happened. That That's like a whole 45 minute like side story. <laughs> it's great. And yes, I can summon him on command, but he only works at night. He doesn't work during the day, <laughs> which in and of itself is strange and unsettling. That's a pound mates. Pound mates is who you call when you when you need a, a dial up summon. <laughs> I need to start playing that game again. I, I'm, I'm currently cruising around with an oversized and I use the term loosely massager. A marital aid? Is that what you're saying? Massager. So Robert, you found it's that a you, massager. It you massages found, things. You you, fa- you found that story I was telling you about. Oh yes, <laughs> and and they've got some amazing weaponry in there. Which I is know. Why I'm now cruising around with an oversized massager. I know, and I can't play it in front of the kids for that and many other reasons. <laughs> it's bananas, man. This game is freaking bananas. <laughs> And, and it's just like, it's so well done, though. Like, you can't not be compelled to keep going. It's it's a brilliant game. Yeah, no, I really, I, yeah, I really liked it when I was playing it. I need I need to fire that up again. It's and I've just, also been playing a lot of Vampire Survivors. Um, because, you know, if I've got 30 minutes, I can just do a run. And I've gotten to the point now with some of the characters where if I get lucky enough with pickups, like, even death has a hard time killing me. At one point, I had six or seven deaths on screen at once. All trying to kill me. Oh, but fun. because I had the freeze time thing, they would all get stuck in place and then I'd just wail on them. And like, you know, I think I, I ended up lasting till like 45 or 46 minutes, something like that. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. I had the, you know, the character that carries around the book that has that vertical attack. Yeah. Yeah. The mana something or other. Yeah. Yeah. I had that fully kitted out with a full pigeon, uh, a full holy Bible, a full garlic. Now, when, you, when, you, when you say full, did you have like, did you upgrade it to like the soul taker and the. Yes, yes, nice. yes. I was basically just like untouchable. And I had I, I had the armor that would basically was always on. So I wouldn't I was invulnerable for large chunks of time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what what would happen was death would show up on screen. I'd freeze him in place. I'd run away. And by the time he moved to come get me, I my armor would be charged up. And so it would take the hit. And then he'd get frozen again. And at one time, and so the, every two minutes or every minute, I think it is, they just add another death in. <laughs> so you unlock the character of the red death then? No, not yet. Oh, wow. You actually have to kill a death to, to have that happen. It's hard. I, I, I don't know how I kill you kill death, though, because I did. I was walloping on him. Uh, there <clears throat> there's another combo you can get. I forget what it is. I think it's the double rings and something else. Um, but every time it ticks, it cuts enemies health in half. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. That's how you kill them. Cause 
because you freeze him with that other thing and that ticks on him. So it does like a ton of damage onto him. And then, you know, every time it ticks, it cuts his health an, down another half and down another half. And yeah. Oh, I'll have to check that out. I, 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 yeah. That, Cause I, I don't know how I didn't kill death that run. Cause I was just, I mean, I ended up with six of the bloody things on screen. Wow. So I was lasting. So I was doing damage. I guess yeah, I just. Also, when I killed death, uh, I did it in the library because I would hang out near some of the bookshelves that spawn in the middle of the field. And because death would have to go around them sometimes to get to me, it yeah, wouldn't be able yeah. to jump on me and yeah. I could hit freeze them again and then run around to the other side. So there you go. That's that's video games. And I think that is everything, is it not? Yeah, that is. All right, gang. Well, that means it's break time. And when we return, it will be time for. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Uh, a very light news segment followed by our King and All Things segment. So, yes, we'll see you in that nightmare shortly. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And of course, you can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, God, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment, which, uh, if we were to be honest, Robert, uh, we are in a little bit of a uh, news desert. Yes. <laughs> I was scraping the bottom of the winter barrel to get the three that I did. I have not found any, any, like, role-playing news, like, D&D one it's quiet D&D one released a playtest packet and they nerfed the hell out of the paladin and the druid but but you know this is the quiet before the storm right because uh, I know that the convention circuit's about to really get kicking off I think there was one last week in um Baltimore I think it was on pub and there was one decently sized one in Vegas recently and I think this is just the beginning of the wave so we should start seeing a lot of announcements soon. yeah yeah and maybe we'll see something out of wizards out of the convention circuit this year because apparently while they were talking to people about how they borked up magic and D&D uh, the uh, community team got the word that you know people kind of miss talking to them at conventions instead of them being a nameless edifice up in Renton I guess that was my first news story Anyway, they said they're <laughs> I, they said they're going to try to go to more of those. I guess I I read that somewhere on the interwebs somewhere. I don't have a source. I, I could be wrong. Might have been a YouTube channel I follow called the Character Sheet, which does uh, does D and D news. There you go. There you go. Uh, so is that your first news story? There we go. I guess that was. That was a good transition. <laughs> All right. Well, let me transition to my first news story. We are getting a new game in the Seven Wonders series. Seven Wonders Architects. Um, in fact, there's a PDF of the rules available already 
on the um, Repo's website. Uh, Seven Wonders Architects, your focus is all about building the wonder. Each wonder is going to kind of come with its own model. It's going to come with its own deck of cards. You put these decks face up uh, between you and a player to the left, and the cards in the deck can get to be used by both players, which is really interesting. There's also a central deck, uh, which is placed face down, uh, which is kind of a communal deck, and you're going to have to make some tough choices between what you have available, what the person to your left might use from your deck, and what's in the communal deck. Um, it looks really interesting. It looks really, really interesting. Uh, if you want to read the rule book, it's available on repos.com. It is an Antoine Bauza game, so it's the same designer as the original Seven Wonders. Uh, and it has a pretty dope uh, cover, actually. I really like the cover. You know what? I think we covered this before, but the fact that the rule book is available to look at is is news. I think we were talking about a Seven Wonders rolling right maybe i'm thinking yeah, something maybe. Else. but either way either way the rule book's out which is cool um the game looks great the cover looks fantastic and i for one really really dig antoine bowser games i'm stoked and uh cannot wait to see it nice there's a new game coming out from mandu games designed by gary kim who also did rising five runes of astros and we're gonna get deities a game where you play as an ancient god and you are both feared and revered by a civilization, and you are trying to help them, you know, basically prosper and thrive, and you want your civilization to surpass the civilizations of the other deities who you are playing against. Uh, Question. Yes. Does it say specific deities, or do you kind of make your own up? I don't know. There's not a ton on this game. Not a ton at all. Um, I'm hoping you can make up your own deity, because then somebody can play Gozer the Gazarian. Oh, ooh, I'm down. I think that would be dope. Maybe they'll make a Actually, special Ghostbusters version. That'd be fun. Yeah, Gozer, and then you got your lieutenants, uh, Vince Clortho and uh, and Zool. I mean, I'm all for it. I think this is a fantastic <laughs> plan. If nobody's <laughs> developing this expansion, then maybe you and I should. Go post it on the board game Geek and uh, under fan expansions. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a... a oh, it a writes res- itself. It writes itself. The Gozer expansion. <laughs> Are you a god? when somebody (laughs) asks you if you're a god (laughs) you say yes Yes. (laughs) um so there's there's a couple different aspects that they do talk about in the press release i saw um there's a village token um so there's a, a like a resource gathering aspect to it where you place it to gain resources there are communal tiles that are available that uh change scores and change rules so there's some interesting stuff going on here cool i like it so that was actually limitedly, blah, that was available in a limited release at Essen last year, uh, but it has not yet hit the distribution channels, and it's looking like it will hit distribution channels very, very soon in 2023. My new story is a while ago, Renegade Games picked up the license for a ton of uh, Avalon Hill, Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro stuff. And it is like all up for pre-order right now. If you are looking for a new edition of Acquire, Diplomacy, or Robo Rally, uh, Renegade Games is, got, has you covered. They're they're making a new edition. They're all up for pre-order on their website right now. And uh, yeah, I uh, I have my very 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 first edition of Robo Rally, but I'm I'm wondering, you know, because I think this would technically be the second. No, it'd be the third. Third, I believe. I yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, I like I like Robo Rally, but it it could use a little cleanup uh, from its first edition. So I'm wondering if this one's better. But yeah, I haven't heard anything particularly good or bad about Acquire, but a lot of people seem to like like it. I don't know what's up with it. It's 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 weird when you talk to people about Acquire. I, I can't say I know a ton about it. I am yeah. curious. I'm I'm Acquire curious. I would like to acquire some more knowledge around it. That was a very Java laugh, by the way. That was that was a very Java laugh. Uh, that's what I was going for, buddy. I like it. I like it. God, I got to keep you on your toes with my uh, with my 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 like what is it? It's the the de- the Deadwood laugh, you know, that like that, that kind of inward groan. Java. I was feeling it. I was feeling the Java this time around. And now I'm explaining the joke, so it must be way funnier. Oh, <laughs> uh, one of the core tenets of humor. Uh, I do find it appropriate that you brought this up as your news story, given that I just took a peek at our um, uh, look back. That's funny. That's funny. Good timing. Well, my <laughs> last uh, piece of news here is um, you are uh, familiar with the Sea of Thieves video game, a game which I have put a lot of time into and rather enjoy. I do not have an X-Bone, so I am familiar in it in that I've heard of it. Okay, well, there is a Sea of Thieves board game uh, coming out. Uh, it, they've been teasing this thing for the better part of a century, it feels like. Uh, it's coming to us from Steamforge Games. They have made a metric ton of expan- of um, video game adaptations. Uh, Elden Ring comes to mind the most recently. Two to four players are all going to come together to become the Legend of the Pirates. You're basically going for bragging rights. Um, You're going to have to contend with a bunch of um, basically AI, like skeleton crews that occupy ghost ships, forts across the ocean, which these are all straight out of the game, which is cool. Um, You might run into the Kraken or the Megalodon, also both in the game. And each of those comes with special monster cards that have different rules that basically can trap your ship in place, which again, straight out of the game. This looks like a really faithful adaptation, actually. The more I read about it, the more faithful it looks. That is coming relatively soon. It's got a ton of stuff in the box, too. Uh, no no word on dates yet, but um, yeah, go to the Steamforge website to keep an eye on it. It looks, looks awesome. That's all she wrote for news, my friend. I know, I know, it's terrible. Like I said, there. we're scraping the bottom of the barrel, which, of course... Speaking of the bottom of the barrel, brings us to a king in all things. <laughs> a nightmarish part 26 in our 44-part series, a king in all things, where we are watching Stephen King movies based on novels and novellas in order of release date, along with the occasional extra. I'm hesitant to even get through the copy here to get to the point where we talk about it, but we're going to go ahead and push through. We watched it, so you don't have to. Uh, this is part 24 in our series, 2004's Riding the Bullet. Directed by Mick Garris, who uh, did the Shining miniseries, which we both enjoyed at least the third part of. Yes. Made for a budget of, according to the interwebs, and I haven't been able to verify this very well, but it was made for $5 million, and it made (laughs) $264,000. And you know what? I feel bad for every single one of those 17 people. (laughs) It wasn't 17. Like, movie movie tickets in 2004 were what? Uh... Seven bucks? Seven and a quarter? Eight? I'm going to go with nine. You know what? It's easier. Man, that means that at least 26,000 people saw this film in the theaters. May God help their souls. I know, right? I have no other way to describe this film. How, where how much can where do we even movie? begin with this movie? Like, legitimately, I'm asking that 
as a friend, where do we begin? All right. So the plot, which I have liberal air quotes going right now. And, uh, and I think you're being too kind with those air quotes, frankly. <laughs> Um, is there's this art student who's like into death and he's morbid and he has an art teacher played by Matt Fewer, which, which I was worried about him cause he's not always good, but he played like the 1960s hippie dippy liberal art teacher adequately, I guess, you know, and, and like, I might add one of the bright spots of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you didn't know what you were getting into at this point. Also cue completely pointless, gratuitous nudity, nudity. Yeah, yeah, well, it was a life drawing class. Jonathan, you draw naked people. That's just no, how no, it works. I'm, I'm there, I'm there, but it, it didn't really serve a purpose, you know? Well, no, because he was drawing death behind her and she was all dying because he's morbid and deep, Jonathan. Don't you understand? Don't you under... I, anyway, so, okay, so the plot is... Stop using that word. I don't okay. think you know what it means. So the... <laughs> So the story they were attempting to tell is uh, the dude, I don't even remember the character's name, but his mom has a stroke and he's trying to get down to her and it's the 60s. So of course he has to hitchhike because, or it's the late 60s, but anyway, he has to hitchhike. And as he hitchhikes, he has these weird kind of vaguely supernatural ghostly misadventures along the way. None of which feel even remotely connected to one another. Uh, they're not. And um, and eventually he runs into this ghost that basically says the reason he gets to come up from hell, I guess, is that he has to take somebody back down with him. And he the guy's either going to take him or his mom. So like a like a like a D bag, he chooses his mom and played uh, by and, David Arquette, I might add. Yeah. Yeah. And his mom's Barbara Hershey. And then uh, she turns out not to be dead. But then she dies two years later. And then inexplicably for like the last five minutes of the story, there's a narrator from the future, from the present day, talking about how he ran into this ghost. Well, it's him. It's him aged. Right, right, right. But they did set that up. Like, stand by me. They set that up by having the, uh, what's his face? The, 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 the guy from Jaws talk in the beginning and then talk at the end. You know, like there's, there's a progression, but like, like that just came out of nowhere. But but there's, you know what else comes out of nowhere? A lot. Uh, yeah, essentially everything. Um, I mean, like, this movie just makes no damn sense, Robert. Like, I, no okay, no so, single aspect so, of it does. So much like a lot of Stephen King stuff, it's probably not filmable because a lot of Stephen King's strengths are in, like, the inner monologues and stuff. And to try to, like, depict the inner monologues when he's talking to himself. Yeah, like, it literally doesn't a work. Ghost of um, go uh, look at the uh, original uh, cut of Blade Runner for how, how badly an inner monologue can fail. Basically, he talks to a ghost of himself. So like the ghost of himself is the inner monologue, which is really weird. And then also because like uh, things happen and he sort of like imagines how situations could go bad, like the movie will happen and something awful. For example, he's walking along the side of the road and he finds a rabbit and he's like, oh, isn't that rabbit cute? And then this wild feral dog comes out of the woods and like just destroys the rabbit and then starts looking at him and growling. And then the dog jumps <laughs> on him and tears out his throat on camera with blood shooting out everywhere. And then it cuts to a, do- a, 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 a truck running over the dog. And it was because he was imagining it. Jonathan. Yep. He was imagining uh, I, what was going on. Oh, yes. And, and here's the problem with the movie. Sometimes that happens two or three times where he imagines something and then he imagines something else. And then... Maybe yeah. it's only twice, but it's like, God. no, no, no. It happens several times and, and it, there, it doesn't feel like it ever clearly displays what is and isn't real. Yep. Like, dude, like, am I alone when I say that this movie feels like it was made in the eighties, not the early two thousands? 
Yeah. Like the Grim Reaper shows up and there's this random like, you know, guitar riff soundtrack that comes in (laughs) and then it disappears and just doesn't appear again for the rest of the movie until randomly the Grim Reaper pops up from the backseat of a roller coaster and tosses him off. Like, what the hell was that? Yeah. This movie is freaking bananas, man. Like, and, and the most criminal aspect of it is there's these little moments, especially in terms of like visual cues that are genuinely effective and, and creepy. Like at one point he's sitting there and a, a, a bus full of children dressed up as clowns goes by. And like, it's an unsettling moment. I mean, I guess that's what it's like to start interacting with the king in yellow. Like things get strange and surreal, but yeah, it didn't, it didn't work. <laughs> and it's not like this flashback or, or potential like dreaming of something aspect can, um, you know, doesn't always work. Like, uh, what's the, the, the Cusack movie that they use that? I don't remember. I haven't seen a lot of Cusack. Uh, hold, on, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm looking it up. Uh, what the hell is it? It's not High Fidelity, is it? Yeah, High Fidelity. Um, okay. You know, that, that, that John Cusack movie, High Fidelity, does that sort of thing where, where, you know, like he's dreaming of something happening and then it whips back into reality. But it doesn't in a more effective way. It doesn't stack them so that it gets confusing. And well, it, it, it does it with probably a camera pan because I was thinking Scrubs did the same thing back in the day. And Scrubs, you know, he would look off to the left and then they would have this like wipe that would fade to white and then he would it would be in his brain at that yeah. point. And they would let you know. And, and, you know, if you wanted it to be creepy and horrifying, then you could have the horror thing happen and then you could have the wipe back to reality so we knew it was fake, but there was nothing communicated. It was, it was, Yeah just is incredibly poorly directed to be frank. And the sad part is I was reading about the production of it. This was like Mick Garris's passion project when Stephen King released this barely. Oh, and that's, that's what gives me the red ass. Jonathan, do you, do you know how many words this entered our list? by? (laughs) Yeah. You sent me a text that said it barely, barely crossed the threshold. So according to the internet to be a novella, you have to have at least 19,000 words. And so like, if you look on our Stephen King list from Wikipedia, where I pulled this from, they said it was a novella, but when you actually look at the story, at the story, they call it a short story. And I was like, I was really confused. It's 19,734 words or something like that. It, it, we had to, we had to watch this movie by 734 words. Other, it, it would have been a short story. It would have been off our list, but no, no. No, we had to watch it because it technically was a novella. Technically. So I, I I think I know where this sits on the list. I'm looking at the list right now. Hold on. Let me let me pull up the list. I, I, I have a feeling I know, too, because here's the thing. It's not inherently offensive. So yep. therefore, it, it, it does not we're, we're, hit. Carrie I am picking up what you're putting down. I am picking up lows, right? I there's there's no. You know, Jonathan, am I going to get my wish and we're going to pop a fire starter off the bottom five? Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) I don't know, man. I don't know. I feel like maybe it's at least Cujo. Cujo's biggest crime is that it's boring. But this movie wasn't boring. This movie wasn't boring. You were sitting there going, what the hell am I watching? I think it's better than Cujo. Cujo made sense. But Cujo also offended me because they got an acting performance out of a child being attacked by a rabid dog by terrifying an actual child. OK, really so, yes, you're right. So therefore, it, it, it does lie on the offensive end of the spectrum. So really, the question is, is it worse than Firestarter? No, and Firestarter, fire, Firestarter was the ultimate crime of just being boring. Yes, but there is, I think it's worse because like Firestarter I don't know. Firestarter, I, I almost feel bad for. I, I wanted to. Uh, no, no. This movie's worse than Firestarter. Firestarter is not offensive. Firestarter. Firestarter is just like, yeah, <laughs> this movie I mean, is I, just I, like. I agree. I agree. 
you're just scratching your head going like, what? What am I watching? What's going on? I don't understand. By None the of way, this makes sense. The, the bullet in riding the bullet is, is a roller coaster. Yes. And while it is central to the progress of the film, you never really fully understand why it's central to the progress of the film. Mm-hmm. There are some lofty ideas. That's the most criminal thing this movie does. There are some lofty ideas that I can see where they were trying to go, which makes me kind of want to read the book, actually. But my God, this this movie just fails to do anything but be terrible. You know, apparently it'll be a quick read because it's just barely a novella. It's just, I think it's, uh, I think it's in everything is eventual or I think that's the name of the book that it's in. All right. Well, that means we now have 26 entries on our list and riding the bullet is currently sitting at number 22, meaning that Firestarter is no longer in the bottom five. Riding the bullet is now the gateway to the bottom five, followed by Cujo, the lawnmower man, Carrie and thinner. You know what? I like bad movies. You know, I like bad movies too, but this is but incomprehensible, this, and that's right. The right, this this wasn't entertainingly bad, and that's why I think it's worse than Firestarter, because Firestarter is boring. You're right, but this isn't entertainingly bad. Like like um like Silver Bullet. Silver Bullet is entertainingly bad. You know, yes, it's not. That's not and a good. That's movie. why it's higher up the list. Yeah, yeah, but this is just like you're. It's just, uh, yeah. It uh, deals it's, with a lot of suicide. Man. Like, I, I legitimately don't. I, like I texted you as soon as I watched it. I was like, dude, what did I just watch? Like, I don't, I still don't know to this day. I may never know. I will die with this question on my lips. Well, Jonathan, do you, do you know what's next? God, I'm terrified to find out at this point. Frankly. It's your extra, my friend. Oh, are we on the, the, what is it? The stand? No, we're on 1408. Oh, 1408. Uh, you know, I have good memories of this film. I'm hoping it holds up because uh, I have not seen it since I, uh, I saw it in the theaters. Yeah, I've never seen it, so we'll we'll see how it goes. I remember it got generally good reviews for horror movies. I mean, it it has Sam Jackson in it in a very, you know, after Pulp Fiction, Sam Jackson kind of got typecast for a while, and yeah. this was his opportunity to not be typecast, which I really appreciated. And it's got Cusack actually come coming back to the Cusack. Well, I've got it waiting for me at the library currently, so I will pick that up tomorrow. Or not tomorrow, at the end of the week. Wow, yeah, three yeah. whole years. We jumped to 2007 with that. I know, there's these weird gaps. I mean, it's not like there wasn't, like, movies of his based off of short stories and whatnot. But, yeah, that we, we uh, yeah, it kind of fell out of vogue to do Stephen King stuff for a while. I mean, I could see why. Yeah, no <laughs> joke. This one made good money, too. 1408, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, according to this, yeah, uh, it was... Hearts of Atlantis, Dreamcatcher, Secret Window, Riding the Bullet, and then it jumps to 2007 with 1408. That's and the crazy. Mist. Yeah. Oh, man. that's a That movie messes me up every time I watch it. Uh, in between, also, Kingdom Hospital and Desperation happened on the TV, so I don't know. Just wasn't, wasn't a good time to do a Stephen King adaptation, I guess. There's actually a lot of multi-year gaps. Because then we do another gap of two years for Dolan's Cadillac, which I, I do not have a lot of hope for either. And and is no longer on Netflix, so you may have to pay money to watch that. That and I'm not. Oh, God, that's the worst part. I, I paid three whole dollars to watch this film. I know, I know. That hurt a little bit. I'm just glad they had it at the library. Dude, 1408 is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Now I'm kind of excited. Uh, and then between Dolan's Cadillac and our next one is uh, is uh, the remake of Carrie in 2013. So there's there's a good four-year gap right there. All right, we're getting there. 
We're getting oh, there. wow. That's nuts. Like, yeah, it goes from, so it goes from 2007, 2009, 2013, 2014, 2017, 2019. And then we've had a Stephen King adaptation ever since it, it, I guess, fired it back up again. All right. Well, that means it's time for us to put on our way back goggles and take a look at what we were doing last year. And last year we were on, forgot my dice, 124, the future. What a mystery. What did we talk about, Robert? Well, we got the title from our good friend, Brendan, because he recorded that little bit for us because he, we, we dared him to watch Streets of Fire. Oh, and, <laughs> that's and right. He, and he actually had stuff to say. Uh, unlike that, he just recently watched Dreamcatcher. And he did not have much to say. Because <laughs> what can you say? Did you see what he posted in the Discord about? No, the high I point? didn't. Now I need to go okay. look. Because okay. what a mess! And, and he he posted what is obviously the high point of uh, Morgan Freeman's career over in the movie Discord. In movies, okay. Let's go take a look at movies. <laughs> so what what moment did Brendan decide to take a picture of to just sort of like? Put the exclamation point onto his view of the movie of, of Morgan Freeman, the, the height of his career. Morgan S- Freeman with a flat top and humongous bushy eyebrows saying, really? And what about the weasels? There yeah. it is. There it is. There it is. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yes. And that, that pretty much is just dream catcher in a nutshell right there. <laughs> But anyway, so back, uh, we, we reviewed the Transformers deck building game, uh, which I seem to remember you really enjoyed. I did enjoy it. I mean, like, it's a deck builder, but and I really enjoyed deck builders to begin with, but, I, I mean, just, it's got Transformers. You can switch back and forth between modes, and that's kind of cool. All right, so at the time, apparently I was playing, one of us was playing Hades. I think it was me. Uh, Horizon Might Forbidden have been both West? of us. That was me. Possible. That was me. Uh, God, has it been a little- year since that came out? Yeah. Wow. You're reading Leviathan Falls. Oh. Uh, I, I was watching Stein's Gate, which still was really good. Um, I was, oh, I was reading the Swedish version of Powers of Darkness and watching a lot of the hot ones. And I do not know what King movie we were watching. Oh, Misery. That was Misery. Nice. God, has it been a year since we watched Misery? Yeah. Yeah, it has. Oh, the heights that a Stephen King movie can hit. <laughs> we did not get there this, this episode, my friend. I don't think we've had anything. Has anything scored nearly as high as Missouri since then? Uh, let's see. Let's see. I don't, uh, oh, Dolores Claiborne, I think, was after. Yeah, it was. That was actually really good. Okay. That's good. Dolores Claiborne was a pleasant surprise. Shawshank. I mean. I think that was before. It might no, have been. No, it was anyway. after. It goes Misery, uh, true. Lawnmower Man, <laughs> the, <laughs> the Dark Half, Needful Things, then Shawshank. So we go high, low, mid, mid, high, high, low. All right, man. I'm enjoying this. Oh, what, what, what an adventure this has become. I mean, like, legitimately an adventure. <laughs> all right, play us out. I think, we're, I think we've all said all All righty. Um... Let me find the script again. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of a year in life, which means we're at the end of our segment, and that means break time. And when we return, it'll be time for our deep dive, and we'll be deep diving Century, A New World. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? 
We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back for the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And in today's deep dive, we are looking at Century, a new world. Century, a new world sends players to the Americas at the dawn of the 16th century. Braving the wilderness, players are forced to explore new lands, trade with local inhabitants, journal their findings, and hunt and gather to survive. The game integrates the compelling and incredibly fun resource trading mechanisms found in the Century series with a worker placement mechanism with a twist. Century New World may be combined with Century Spice World and Century Eastern Wonders, or both, for all new mixable games. Jonathan, how's it play? Okay, so when we look at the Century series, we are looking at a different spotlight in every game. Um, in Century Spice Road, you essentially have an engine builder. In Century Eastern Wonders, you've got to pick up and deliver game. And here, in Century New World, our big focus, more than any other thing, is is worker placement. That is essentially what we're the, the, the mindset that we're bringing here, which is not to say that's exclusively what we're dealing with here, but that is the kind of the core mechanic. So we set up the game by placing out um, three boards, A1, B1, C1, in a specific order. They, they form the majority of the quote-unquote continent that we're going to play on. And then there's a spot for a fourth board to form a square in the lower right-hand corner, but there are multiple boards in the box to give you some variation. So once you put those down... Uh, you finish setting up your board by um, adding a bunch of different cards to the table. First, there's cards for point ta- um, for points. Those go on the top, and to anybody who's played any of the Century games before, you're going to be like, oh, those look really familiar, uh, because they are essentially the same visual language as, as the point values from other games. You buy them with resources, and the way you get resources is through the uh, worker placement mechanic in the game. There's also a bunch of bonus tiles that you're going to put out on the board. Um, bonus tiles uh, and exploration tiles go out on the different, com- um, basically, spaces of the main game boards. And then each player is going to get a player board of their own. They're going to get a set of workers. And those workers are going to match a color. Um, you get 12 uh, settlers uh, are your workers. You get to start out with six of them, unless you're playing a two-player game, in which you get in which case you get to play with uh, seven of them. The remaining are a reserve, and you basically have to unlock them using various gameplay mechanics. And then you um, set up your your basic starting supplies. So much like the other Century games, you have four different types of supplies. There's yellow, red, green, and brown. And those represent, in order, corn, meat, tobacco, and fur. And just like in the previous games... Corn sits at the bottom, the yellow sits at the bottom, and you can trade up the scale, which is part of the way that the worker placement works. So you can trade corn for meat, meat for tobacco, tobacco for fur, going up the scale. So the first player gets only three corn to start, the yellow cubes. Everybody else afterwards gets four yellow cubes to start up for a little bit of balance. On your turn, you're only doing a couple things. You can work or you can rest. If you work, you choose a location in the game, You have to choose a location that has neither an exploration tile nor your own settler on it. And then you place the required number of settlers on the location because there's not always going to be one. Sometimes it'll require more than one. And you get to use that location's action. All make sense so far? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about actions. 
the actions on the location are going to really fall into four different categories. You have production locations. Those give you a specific uh, set of cubes from the supply. So for instance, you might choose one that has two yellow cubes. That gives you two more corn that you can utilize. You have an upgrade location. Upgrade is where you take your goods and you can move them up that um, hierarchy of goods that we talked about. Corn will become meat. Meat will become tobacco. Tobacco will become fur. You have trading locations where you can trade specific sets of goods that are printed on the tile from your storage for different goods from the supply. And then finally, you have forts. And forts are where you get to exchange your cubes to claim the location's point card or take a bonus tile or do both, depending on what resources you have available to you. The other action that you can do is resting. And resting is grabbing all your workers off the board, bringing them home, and this is a common action that we see in every single one of the other games in the series. Resting is an important mechanic for the Century series. All make sense? Yeah, all make sense. Okay, so that's essentially the basis of the game. And much like the other games in the Century series, it's super easy to teach because there's not really a whole lot going on, which is not to say that the game isn't super deep because it is. Because the depth comes in the variation of the bonus tiles, the variation of exploration tiles, and the variation of the the game board itself because you do have that uh, rotating uh, game piece that goes into play. So much like the other Century games, you have something that's inherently simple to describe and simple to teach, but devilishly deep in its details. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm hearing you talk and I'm wondering how you integrate all these games together, which is not what I should be doing right now. So we'll talk about that in a future review. So Jonathan, how does the rulebook explain all that? Well, just like the other Century games, there really is no rulebook. It's a two-sided um, single cardboard piece, and that's it. That's all you have. Setup is described on one side, actions are described on the other, and everything else is communicated to you on the various tiles and cards. And because it uses a common visual language with the other Century games, anybody who's played any of the Century games can sit down and instantly feel at home with this game. So I'm looking at pictures of this. How, 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 did that, how does that cardboard feel? And are the wooden cubes nice? Because that, that's all that's there. Yeah, it's on par with the other Century games. It's got a, a very nice production quality. Um, You get these cute little plastic cups. I don't know if you can hear it. The plastic cups are are just like the ones in in the other Century games uh, to help you kind of maintain order for all of the different um, chits that are in the game and cubes and all that fun stuff. Oh, those come with Uh, it. The quality is good. I'm seeing pictures of those, and I'm like, oh, those come with it. That's cute. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's those little storage cups in every single one of the Century games. It's one of the nice things that they, they give you. It's, uh, it's like it understands that there's going to be a lot of fiddly bits, so it gives you everything you need to manage those fiddly bits. Is there anything off in the execution of this game? Not a one. Not a thing. The one thing that the Century games have all excelled at, including this one, is the visual iconography is extremely easy to interpret and understand. That's part of what makes this such an approachable game, especially if you're playing it with beginners. Yeah, it's a hallmark of the the whole series, really. Where the the game excels in is in how much depth it can squeeze out of what is a very relatively basic rule set, and that depth really comes from the variation, and makes it feel fresh every single time you play. I mean, it's 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 one of the things that Emerson Matsuichi does so well with his designs. It's ease of approach with superior depth of play. Well, I got a question for you. I'm looking at these pictures over on the board game geeks and some of the cups are blue and some of them are green. What do you have? 
I have green cups. Interesting. Wonder if it's like first edition or maybe, maybe or, or Europe know. versus America. Who knows? All right, and what's the recommended player count for this game anyway? Recommended player count is two to four players. Uh, I played it with two and three players, and and much like the other games, there's a really nice balance to be found there. It's one of those rare games when they say you can play it with less than the max, they actually mean it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, they they really do mean it uh, because uh, ultimately there there is some variation in the tiles that you put out uh, depending on your player count. So the the you remember when we talked about the variation of of what goes on to the the playing field? Yeah. You you do take out certain tiles for less than four players, and that really helps to balance the game out. I mean, it's it's very clear that Emerson spent a lot of time balancing the game out for any player count. It, it's not just willy-nilly what you remove. You remove some very key components that would legitimately break the game if they were left in for a small player count. All right, Jonathan. And if you had one last little thing you could say about this game, what would it be? Not just this game, but the entire trilogy. Uh, they really... They're elegant, simple designs that never lose their depth. Every time I play one of these games, it always feels like a fresh experience. And I never feel like I'm having the same experience more than once. And honestly, having this trilogy on my shelf is awesome because it gives me an easy way of introducing players to a pick up and deliver game, a uh, engine building game, and now a worker placement game. They're so simple to explain and yet everybody that i play with always comes away from it saying wow there's a lot more there than i thought was going to be there and that really is just the key to how how clever these games are this is such a wonderful series and this is a really really strong way to end it and i can't wait to try them all together because then we get to to mix all those mechanics together well that is century a new world by plan b games it should be available now at your flgs long since available yeah, apologies to everybody for forgetting that this was on our, our list. I, that, that falls to me. I, I wish we had covered this a little bit ago. Well, it's weird, too, because we had several episodes where we had to skip because you were busy. You probably could have just slotted in there. Fail, Jonathan. My, my favorite thing, by the way, is mm. that when you stack the uh, boxes next to each other uh, on a certain side, uh, it makes a panorama. Oh, that's cute. That's a good idea. I like that. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our deep dive, which means we are at the end of our episode once more. Thank you for joining us for episode 141 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We would love to hear from you. And Robert, that, of course, brings us to this one last thing. Any final thoughts, my friend? Yes, Jonathan. Do you know what is at my local library that I have just put on my hold list? Um, the book we talked about earlier, the uh, three body problem. No, F1 manager 22. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. I thought you would. So, yeah, I if you have any questions, you come see me. OK, I will. I will talk to you. I don't think I'll get it this week uh, unless they are much more fast than they usually are. Uh, so yeah, it'll probably be in next week. So I might have some time to play it before we record again. Baby, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> we'll see how much the star horse allows me to play that game. <laughs> All right. Well, that means it's uh, time to say be excellent to one another, Robert and party on party on Jonathan.
The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 